You're listening to a Richwood Church podcast. You know, out of the muck and mire that this world is, towers a person who is unlike any other. And while the world flounders and morality continues to decline, there is a person who is always perfect. And while men and women treat each other unkindly and with malice, there is a person who is just and right. And that person is God. He is spotless. He is pure. And so take heart. Don't be discouraged when you see this world stained with violence and racism and impurity. At the same time, don't let the shame of sin put you in bondage because your hope is God. He isn't like the world. God is holy, and by embracing Him, you can be free. And in order to discover that during our time together, I want to take you to a fantastic text, and it's found in the book of Isaiah chapter 6 beginning in verse 1, and it's a wonderful picture of the holiness of God. So grab a Bible if there's one near you, or you can use a device, phone, tablet. You can follow along on the screen as well. This text we're going to look at is Isaiah's vision that happened around the time of King Uzziah's death. So it was about 739 B.C., And this vision seems to look back at Isaiah's commissioning. And it is an incredible text that shows us the hope that comes with the infinite and inexpressible holiness of God. So let's read it together, beginning in verse 1, Isaiah 6. In the year that King Uzziah died... I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, and the whole earth is full of his glory." Verse 4, and the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Wow, it's an amazing section of Scripture. And in our series, Who is God?, we're looking at these various doctrines of God in order to help you discover the biblical reality of who God is. Because when you discover the God of the Bible, then you can thrive no matter what trials are thrown at you, including a pandemic. And so that's why we're doing this series. And we've discovered so many things about God already, that He is unchangeable. We've talked about the faithfulness of God and the eternal nature of God. And now we land on this magnificent attribute called 
the holiness of God. And here's a definition that we can use that's put to us by Wayne Grudem. He says the holiness of God is a doctrine that God is separated from sin and devoted to seeking his own honor. So God can have nothing to do with sin. He is separated from sin, which means that gives us hope because we are immersed in sin. And so here in startling detail, the prophet Isaiah describes the holiness of God. And he is mesmerized by it. And I want you to be encouraged by it. And I want it to calm you even during all of these problems that are happening around you. And so here's the first point I wanted to put forth during our time together, and that is this. God's holiness can comfort you because it shows he is the majestic king. And king really is the operative word there. Isaiah was a faithful prophet, and so God shows him this wonderful vision that takes place within the most holy of places. And in this vision, Isaiah notices three important things about God. First, in verse 1, God is seated on a throne. So this vision takes place in the middle of a temple in a room called the Holy of Holies. And this room was so holy that the only person that could enter was the high priest of Israel. And even then, only once per year, he would come in and he would make atonement for the sins of Israel by sprinkling blood on the Ark of the Covenant. So it's an immensely holy place. And in this place, there's a presence of a throne. And that denotes the fact that God is the king of Israel. God is the king of the universe. Secondly, the term high and lifted up refers to the Lord's place amongst the people of Israel. He's their protector. He's their helper. And he's higher than any human being. And so you can trust him too. You can depend on him. And then thirdly, the wording, the train of his robe filled the temple, speaks of God's incredible majesty see, God wanted Israel to worship him because he, he knows that he's the best thing. And he's calling you and he's calling me to worship at his feet because of his holiness. And he seeks a full giving over of one's life to him. He's not looking for ritual. He wants to rule the heart of the believer. And he deserves it because of his holiness. And as we discover more about the holiness of God, I think you'll find that this doctrine is one to take seriously. Because as a follower of Christ, sometimes we, we tend to just kind of put God over in the corner. And we see so much of the world we're in and we're, we're enmeshed in all of the function of this culture. But God is holy, and he's deserving of so much more than just a cursory response. God is looking for your whole heart. And that's really what Isaiah was seeing here. And for Isaiah, the holiness of God became 
his number one pursuit. So God's holiness is awe-inspiring. It shows that he is the one true king. And Isaiah is seeing this, and he's absolutely mesmerized by it. Because what he sees is, in the holy of holies, he sees this throne. He sees God on this throne. He is the king. But not only was Isaiah struck by the holiness of God, there is a whole slew of angels in this vision that are also amazed by it and knew that God is far more holy than any being in the universe. And that's the next point, is that he separates himself in this vision from any other being. There is no one like God. So in verses 2 and 3, we see these angels now engage the holiness of God. Verse 2, above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Man, you know, as I was reading this, I, I thought if if I had one passage on a desert island to just read over and over again. This is so powerful. And here in this vision, Isaiah specifically mentions the word seraphim. And that means the fiery ones. And the word seraphim is the plural of the form of the Hebrew root word, which is seraph, and that means to burn. And so really what's happening here is that these attendants of God are burning with love for God. They're burning with admiration. They see His holiness, and this is their reaction to it. And as they call to one another, the seraphs, whose number is not given here, were proclaiming that the Lord Almighty is holy. And the three-form repetition of that word, holy, 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 like a song we just sang, suggests supreme and absolutely complete holiness. That's why God is different than any other being that we will ever encounter. He's absolutely holy. And as the seraphs cried out, Isaiah saw the temple shake, and it was filled with smoke, and there's power there. And in verse 4, we see these words, and the foundation of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. Here's what Isaiah is seeing. The thresholds were large foundation stones on which the doorposts stood. And the shaking suggests the awesome power and nature of God. And then the smoke takes us back to the cloud of glory that his ancestors saw as they entered the temple. So the imagery here is amazing. And if you're a a Jewish reader in the time that this was written, this would have been incredibly striking. And unfortunately, we've lost some of that because we don't focus enough on the holiness of God. 
And so this is an awesome sight to consider. And, and you can imagine what Isaiah must have been thinking as he had this vision and as he's writing it down, inspired by the Holy Spirit. He knows that God's holiness is inspiring and he knows that it separates him from any other being. And the angels affirm that and the presence of these angels affirm that. But the only appropriate response then that Isaiah could possibly have encountering this kind of holiness is humility. And so this point is really important for us to understand that to understand God's holiness is to understand your sinful state. And this really is an important thing to remember. In verse 5, the prophet really begins to focus on this. He says in verse 5, And I said, Woe is me, for, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. You see, he sees this vision of God's holiness. And immediately he's confronted with his own unholiness. And Isaiah realized that because of his sinfulness, he was subject to judgment. And his, his words here, unclean lips, probably reflected his attitude and his actions, he knew his heart. He knew what was in his heart. And he identified with his people, which were also of unclean lips. So that same reaction is appropriate for you, and it's appropriate for me. When you come face to face with God's holiness, you really begin to understand who you are. You begin to understand what's in here. And when you're confronted with sin, that it's very easy to give grace to others. But if you're unwilling to look at the sin that's in your own heart, then you will become a judgmental person. Because really, judging others is much more about how we see ourselves than how we see them. Because if we're not in touch with our own sin, then we will judge. But Isaiah was immediately confronted and he immediately began to understand his humble state. And so that's an important thing for us to keep in mind, that Isaiah, this great prophet, this, this wordsmith, the, the one who had this incredibly long book in the Old Testament, was humbled by God's holiness. So the question then becomes, what will your response be to this doctrine of God's holiness? And so I thought I would just throw out a couple of practical ways that you can respond that I think are appropriate. And the first thing you can do is you can begin to ask God to bring you into a deeper relationship with him and you can then begin to adopt his character. And so put, we'll put it this way. The first reaction can be this. A proper response to God's holiness is to imitate it. We want to be like it. We want to 
to follow this person that we so deeply love. And though you will never, ever reach a state of perfection as you fight your sinful self until the day you die, it is important to see this as a milestone or something to move toward because if you love God, you'll want to be like God. And 1 Peter 1, 14 through 16 points this out so well. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Those are strong words, and it's a high calling. Holiness in the life of a believer is seen by the transformation of the mind. And then when the mind has been transformed, conduct follows. But it flows from the heart at the beginning because it comes with what we consume. What are we looking at? What are we taking in? And I love Philippians 4.8 because it helps give me a barometer of what I am consuming into my heart. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. We don't need to be legalistic. We just need to understand what Paul had in mind when he wrote those words. And when I apply this to my own life, I ask questions like this. Does this show or movie that I'm watching meet these standards? Does the website that I'm looking at reflect something that is pure and lovely and commendable? And does my speech reflect honor? See, here's the thing. We need to stay close to the holiness of God because we can pretty much convince ourselves of anything. That anything is right. And we can be absolutely hypocritical in our actions. Back in my broadcast days, when I broadcast basketball, I would travel with teams. And I remember one instance, I was traveling with a team and I was staying with one of the assistant coaches. And we're getting ready to check out of the hotel, and he's running around the room, and he's making the beds, and he's cleaning everything up, and he's so like, what are you doing? And he said, hey, I, I've always been taught, leave something better than the way you found it, and this is how you honor people. But the ironic thing is, is that this, this man was having an extramarital affair with the director of basketball operations. He had convinced himself that somehow he was in the moral high ground by cleaning up his hotel room while he was having an affair. That's the kind of deceit that lies within the human heart. And that's, what, that's why staying close to the holiness of God is so important. A proper response to the holiness of God is to understand my sin and come and imitate then his righteousness. A second appropriate response would be this. It is to know that God will win the day. 
And here's what I mean by that. And if you don't hear anything else, I want you to hear this. Evil is not winning. Evil is not winning. God is still on his throne. And as you turn on the news and you see these crazy people running around in black and wearing goggles and masks and they're toppling statues, let me just assure you that they will not topple Christianity. The church has been through a lot worse than this. And Jesus promised that the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. God's holiness will win the day. And so as you go about your daily life and you're seeing all of these things around you like filth and anger and even anarchy, remember that God will make things right. How do we know that? Because he is holy. He is just. He is good. He's not like any other being. And so we can trust that. 1 Peter 4, 5 is a beautiful verse. And it helps us understand this. But they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. And you say, well, why did you call that a beautiful verse? It's because everything will be made right. And I'm looking forward to that in my own life because I'm unsure at times. How am I doing? Am I walking the way I should walk? Was that right? Was that wrong? One day, Jesus will put it all right. So don't fret. And don't worry. Because God's holiness means that he will restore righteousness and in the meantime, you can imitate his holiness because he's so different than any other being. And you can join with those angels and you can praise him and worship him. And finally, a fitting response to the holiness of God is to reach the non-believing world. It's to introduce him to the world. I mean, you have this holiness, you want people to know about it. You want people to bask in it. You want people to be saved by it. And it's up to all of us to make this happen. We are all missionaries in our own context. And the mission of Ridgewood Church, as you know, is to make Jesus known through community impact. And we need to go hard on this mission statement right now because this is a time when people are seeing the same thing you are and they're afraid and they're worried about the future and they're concerned that a sense of morality has left our country. And when you can come alongside and say, no, wait a minute, no, there is truth. There is holiness. You just need to find it in the right place. They will listen to you. And so you need to understand that the truth is still the same as it always has been, that mankind is sinful, that the proper punishment for sin is separation from God in hell, but that Jesus came to pay a substitutionary death so that those who put their faith in him and repent of that sin can be saved from the wrath of God and live forever in heaven. That is the gospel. That has not changed. And so coming out of this pandemic, we need to take steps forward and Ridgewood Church needs to be strong. And so here's a couple things we're working on right now. 
We are currently beginning a search for an adult pastor that can help equip you to do this work of the ministry. Because you are in a context that no one else is in. God has placed you in a workplace. He's placed you in a school. He's placed you in a neighborhood. No one can reach that better than you can. And so we want to bring somebody on that can begin to train you and encourage you and help you move forward. And then the second thing that we're doing is we've begun to take the next step in developing our Ridgewood Preschool. Because a preschool can bring children in and minister for decades and decades and decades and can be a long-lasting ministry. And I say we've taken the first steps because I walk into Denise's office, our children's minister, and, and she's got these two stack of papers that are literally this big that she's got to work through, but we've begun. And so I would really ask for your prayers because... A preschool could bring a lot of kids into a relationship with Jesus Christ and a lot of families for a long time. So when we come out of this pandemic, we need Ridgewood to be strong. We need to enter into this mission. One of the reasons we talk about tithing and giving and being part of the mission is because this doesn't happen by accident. It takes planning. It takes time. It takes resources and it takes money. And so that's why I ask you to continue to give. And it's so easy to give by just hopping online at myrwc.org. And every gift helps us to obtain these goals. And then we can get that news of the holiness of God into the hands of a hurting world. Because listen, there is so much at stake right now. Not tomorrow, right now. Can't wait we can't wait to get this message forward into people's hands because people need Jesus. They need to know that holiness exists beyond the garbage that they experience every day. And Isaiah's vision paints this perfect picture of God's holiness. And so just remember, just remember, there's going to be dark days ahead, I'm sure. But your hope is God. Because God isn't like the world. God is holy. And by submitting to Him and coming into relationship with Him and trusting Him, you can be free. So I wonder if I could just take a moment and pray for you. Dear God, I am so thankful that we've had this opportunity to be together. And I pray over this beautiful flock that is Ridgewood Church. I love them so deeply. And, and you've brought us together for this time to, to reach a community that, that you've put Ridgewood in, not by accident. And, and you've called all of us to be a part of that mission. And so I pray that you call us and help us to know how to be a part of that. But at the same time, I just pray for these sheep, Lord, that you would encourage each one. Times are dark. Times are difficult. There, there's real pain in the world right now like we've never seen in our lifetime. And so I pray that you would encourage by way of reminding us who you really are. That you're holy. That you're righteous. That you stand above any other human being, any other being in the universe. You, you are 
God. And I thank you for this amazing doctrine of your holiness. And in Jesus' name I pray, amen. I hope you're encouraged. I hope you're having a great 4th of July weekend. And may God bless you greatly. Thank you for joining us on the Ridgewood Church Podcast. For more faith-based resources or information about Ridgewood Church, visit us at myrwc.org.